and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, hello, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, and our text is going to be verse 7 through 11. But before we read that, uh, back in 2016, you may have heard about a rally that atheists held in Washington, D.C., and they were hoping that tens of thousands of people would show up to protest how, in their view, people of no faith, atheists, are so mistreated in the nation. Never mind the fact that the vast majority of public engines already propagate their views. Hollywood, music, social media, universities, and that now even government is being used to coerce conformity to their godless views. Well, only 10 or 15,000 people did show up, which was less than the year before, but that didn't stop the press from giving them glowing coverage and positive spin. Well, I saw a picture of that rally, and one of the atheists was holding up a sign that read, Only sheep need a shepherd. Well, that kind of captures the spirit of the age, doesn't it? Openly mock those who embrace that the Lord is their shepherd, from the great Psalm 23, and promote the idea of being your own shepherd. Well, uh, those who uh, describe life as making progress would say that those are new views that have come into vogue only in the last couple hundred years. But the idea of rejecting God and becoming your own God is as old as the Garden of Eden itself. It is the way that Satan tempted even Adam, Adam and Eve. It is the way he tempted them. He twisted Scripture. He got them to question Scripture. And he said, God's holding out on you, essentially, Satan said. If you will choose this sin, then you will be like God. You will be as God. And that temptation to want to be the autonomy, uh, autonomous over our own life, the authority of our own life, and reject God's authority uh, is the ancient uh, heresy. It is the ancient sin. And it is the pride of life behind so many other sins. And increasingly, in these last couple hundred years, the notion of progress has become an idol that uproots all other beliefs, especially the idea of God and fixed truths. Now, the great hymn writer Horatius Bonaire, who lived from 1808 to 1889, wrote a poem, a hymn that could be sung or uh, read and reflected on about this. Listen to this uh, poem that he wrote. The age's progress fears no God, no righteous law, no judge's throne. Man bounds along his newfound road and calls the universe his own. Old misbelief becomes earth's creed. The falsehood lives, the truth has died. Man leans upon a broken reed and falls in helplessness of pride. He spurns the hand that would have led, the lips that would have spoken love, the book that would his soul have fed and taught the wisdom from above. Eternal light, hide not thy face. Eternal truth, direct our way. Eternal love, shine forth in grace. Reveal our darkness and thy day. Oh, that's so beautiful and so correct as we believe the lies of Satan, what Bonaire, Bonaire there calls the um, ancient lies and rejecting God's glorious truth that is given by God's love to us so that we would know how the Creator 
would have us live, a way that could have his blessing and not do things that he has to judge because of its rebellion against God, but also the consequences of sin have their own built-in consequences because they're simply not the way the Creator intended them to be. It just as sure as that if you uh, tried to hit a baseball with a badminton racket, it wouldn't be the designer of the badminton's uh, racket's fault when the badminton racket was torn in two with the baseball hitting of it. That would be your misuse of the creation. And so it is with everything the Bible describes as sin. It's simply not the way God has uh, uh, ordained life to work. Well, do you remember the references to time in our last message? Peter urged Christians to live their remaining time in this life doing what God wants and resisting the sinful ways that characterized their past. In verse 5, he referred to the coming time when we will give an account to the Lord. So what are believers to prioritize in the now while they await the coming day of the Lord? Well, that's our passage for today. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him or her do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Growing together in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for 1 Peter 4 and uh, these straight verses here that one after the other includes a one another reference, one of your great one another's to the believers, Lord God. And uh, I pray that as we work through this text and as we keep in the backdrop that there is a day that we will stand before you and give an account for our lives. There is a day where you return to this earth and be the king of the earth, Lord, reigning from Jerusalem. And there'll be a golden age like the world has never seen. And then after the final judgment, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, God. A new Jerusalem on a new earth in a new heavens, Lord God. And I thank you for the way that history is moving toward the fulfillment of your plan. We know that what Satan means for bad, uh, God can often turn around and work through his people within the midst of those bad things that Satan intends and that people making sinful decisions bring to pass. We thank you that nothing will hinder your will from ultimately being done and your kingdom from coming to this earth, God. We pray that even now, as we seek to be your ambassadors, Lord God, we will see many turn from their sin and turn to you, as we have done, Lord God. And Lord, uh, we uh, aren't proud, we're humbled. We're humbled by the knowledge that we're merely sinners saved by grace, that we, uh, in our own strength and actions, deserve nothing but judgment, Lord. But I thank you that we've looked into our judge's eyes and seen you the Savior there and that you've promised anyone who acknowledges their need and turns to you will experience forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and a new purpose to live the rest of this life, Lord God. And we don't do that alone. We do that with others, the one another's that you've put us with, God, the each other's you put us with. And so, Lord, I pray that together we'll grow in Christ, that we'll grow together in Christ as we seek you and serve you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, let's follow the flow of this text. The first part of verse 7 uh, reminds us that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. So you're filling the blank there is the word return. The return of Jesus Christ is imminent. He says now the end of all things is at hand. The word for end there could be translated goal. The words at hand could be translated imminent. Imminent. 
This world is moving toward an end, a goal, an appointment with its Creator. The return of Jesus Christ will usher in the end of earth as we know it, and then He will give the earth a makeover. That coming day of the Lord overshadows everything in this life, and that's what we mean when we say it is imminent. For believers, it is imminent like Christmas is for a child. A child awaits Christmas with anticipation. We await getting to be with Christ in a sin-and-death-free place forever. And what is received there is as free as the gifts gotten at Christmas. Smiles abounding, joy of the Lord, uh, the imminent time. And that's why we're told to look forward to both the rapture of the saints and then after the time of the tribulation, the return of Christ to earth with a sense of joy uh, in what it means for believers. But for the non-Christians, uh, the return of the Lord is imminent like paying taxes, not something to be looked forward to, but a reckoning, something accompanied by loss. So Peter's statement is the end of all things is imminent, and that really has us intrigued. What do we mean when we say the end is imminent? What are our priorities to be knowing that there is a termination date on life as we know it? Well, Peter certainly advocated all believers being involved in Christ's great commission, getting the gospel to all peoples. We've seen that throughout 1 Peter so far. But here he states the commitment that's behind that commission, the great commandment behind the great commission. And the great commandment, of course, is to love God and to love people. So what does Peter say to do in the light of the end of all things? Well, he wants us to do now what we're going to do for eternity. Spend time with God, spend time with God's family, and share gifts God has given us with the whole family. Now, so what are the top priorities? What are our top priorities while we await Jesus' return? The first one is to spend time with God. So your fill in the blank is the word time. Spend time with God. He says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Serious could also be sound-minded. Keep your cool. Watchful could also be alert, self-controlled. Don't be swept away by emotions or passions. As believers, we want to face things realistically and be free from delusions. We want to have sound judgment about doctrine. Uh, don't forget what the Bible teaches us to believe and not to believe. We want to have sound judgment about practical affairs of life and their relative importance, the correct behaviors we're to be involved in for the Lord and the things we're supposed to turn from as wrong behaviors for us. I have said before that when a nation stops fearing God, it will lose common sense. And evidence of all that is around us in so many ways. And we see many professing Christians getting caught up in thinking that's not clear-headed and actions that are not disciplined. <laughs> when others go party with alcohol, Peter says, you go party with God. Uh, this includes how we react to the non-stop inf information that's now put before us with social media. There are many times and situations when instead of expressing our opinion, we who are Christians should simply pray for all involved. Think about that situation uh, four or five years ago now. A gorilla almost killed a toddler at the zoo, so they had to kill the gorilla. And uh, when that happens, we should pray for the family and those traumatized by the event. We shouldn't make a post criticizing parenting or those traumatized by the event. Just pray for all involved. We would do much better to pray through our news feeds uh, rather than expressing our uh, sourpussed opinion about everything in our news feeds. I love social media, but be sure and unplug each day and plug into time spent with God and the Bible and prayer to pray about the things that you come across in life and really uh, to make sure you've got God's perspectives on things rather than just adding your opinion to the mix, uh, especially when your opinion's not been formed by the Word of God. Peter had once upon a time 
slept instead of praying. Now he knows better. <laughs> and so what do you do when you pray? Well, you're spending time with God. So that's why we called it the imperative of spending time with God as a top priority while we await Jesus' return. Peter says, because the end of all things is at hand or imminent, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. You speak to him, you listen for his voice. Speaking to you in the Bible, impressing things on you as you listen, uh, the Holy Spirit will speak to you through the Word of God. He will uh, answer your prayers. He will give you a sense of God's presence and what God wants you to do. Now, one thing we need to keep in mind here is these commands in letters like 1 Peter and many of the letters of Paul are usually in the plural. So it's not just uh, you, Danny, be serious and watchful in your prayers. It's you, Tabernacle Church, be serious and watchful in your prayers, in your corporate prayers, the time you corporately spend together. Um, so we agree with each other in prayer, and as time passes, we should pray together out loud more, and that is happening more and more in the life of our church, but uh, we uh, can up it still. Well, how do you respond? What do you prioritize? You not only spend time with God. Verses 8 and 9, we see that you spend time with God's family. You spend time with each other in the body of Christ. So the fill in the blank there is the word family. It says, and above all things, <laughs> he's going to get down to business, right? Witness to everyone who moves. Sound the alarm. Go into the highways and byways that would compel them to come in. And certainly, Peter has already shared his heart for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Through his preaching, he had seen thousands turn to Christ. But in lieu of the imminency of the end of all things, he says, have fervent love for one another. Agape, love for one another constantly. Peter first talked of love for one another at, in, back in chapter 1, verse 22, where he reminded us that we're set apart for love. So what's he saying? Spend time with God's family, your fellow believers. The word translated fervent could also be to be stretched, have a stretchy love for one another. It's used of a runner moving at a maximum output, straining to the limit. Can't you see that in your eyes? The times you've seen an Olympics uh, uh, dash and all of a sudden the uh, runners are straining for the finish line. Well, that's the kind of uh, image that Peter's trying to conjure up. Love others like you were an athlete straining for the finish line. That speaks of eagerness. It speaks of intensity. And then he says that we are to have fervent love for one another. And then he says, since love covers a multitude of sins. Ooh, well, that is worth thinking about, isn't it? And commenting on how does love cover a multitude of sins? Well, there's at least two ways. And here's what I thought as I studied this out. Love for one another keeps people from being isolated because many sins happen there. Isolated, that's your fill in the blank. Love keeps people from being isolated. You know, many of the um, worst things that happen for professing believers is when they get isolated, when they stop going to church for a while, when they stop reading their Bible for a while, when they stop interacting with other believers, or they uh, start interacting with believers who, professing believers who aren't taking their faith very seriously. They kind of go downhill together in their faith rather than, they backslide together rather than being around strong believers who can help your faith grow. Uh, and so it's incumbent uh, on us to have stretchy, fervent, stretched out love for one another because it may be the time that we reach out to somebody that's starting to get isolated, starting to fall away, starting to pull away. Uh, our stretching out in love toward them oftentimes will keep them 
uh, from going off into just horrible sin, you know. And so that's a call for the body of Christ. Jesus modeled that in the way that he reached out to and restored Peter and the way that even though his disciples were supposed to go to Galilee after his resurrection, he met them in Jerusalem because they were still so uh, discouraged and, and, uh, and, and in shock that he met them there and then led them and they met again in Galilee to get the instruction that he had for them. So the first way love covers over a multitude of sins is it keeps people from being isolated. The second way is love forgives others. Love practices forgiveness. And when forgiveness happens, sins don't escalate like the Hatfields and McCoys. You know, the Hatfields and McCoys, they just didn't like uh, something happened way back. They couldn't even remember the original problem and stuff. And the Hatfields were upset and didn't forgive the McCoys. The McCoys didn't upset, didn't forgive in the Hatfields and new sins were created. It kept on compounding. And if forgiveness had been practiced early on in the Hatfield-McCoy relationship, it would have kept a couple hundred years of conflict from happening. And so when love forgives, when love practices biblical forgiveness like Jesus modeled forgiveness, uh, sins don't escalate. That's your fill in the blank. They don't escalate like the Hatfields and McCoys. Like Proverbs 14, 12 said, hatred stirs up strife but love covers all sin. Love does not condone or cover up sin, but it does cover sin. I think of the things that 1 Corinthians 13 says and how loving like that keeps us from sinning. In fact, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the midst of his letter to the Corinthian church that certainly had a lot of sinful ambition and struggling and pride that had to be dealt with. He called for love instead of the things that divide. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. Well, I like to make that a challenge for myself from time to time to ask, is Danny modeling 1 Corinthians 13 type of love? And so I turn these things into a question. Does Danny suffer long? That, that's the word for patience. Is Danny patient? Is Danny kind? Is Danny being envious? Uh, is Danny parading himself, puffing himself up? Uh, is Danny behaving rudely? Is Danny seeking his own, kind of agitating the, his own? Is Danny provoked, uh, thinking evil? Is Danny rejoicing iniquity or is Danny rejoicing in the truth? Is Danny bearing all things? Is Danny believing all things? Believing that the same God that got a hold of Danny can get a hold of anybody else? Uh, is he hoping all things for the other person? Is he enduring all things the way that Christ has endured in his ministry to Danny? And others have too. Others have modeled for me being patient and kind when I didn't deserve patience and kindness. And I want to model that for others. It's that great 1 Corinthians 13 type love. Well, next he says here in 1 Peter, getting back to 1 Peter 4, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. The word for hospitality means the love of strangers. The love of strangers. So we're to agape, love one another. We're to phileo, love strangers, brotherly love, like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. We are to practice love, uh, thoughtful uh, love towards strangers that uh, is, is, uh, is, is an honor and privilege for us. 
hospitality is both commanded and commended throughout the Bible. Passages like Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29, and Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. The Hebrews passage actually says that when we entertain strangers, we may even wind up, if we practice hospitality hospitality to strangers, we may even wind up uh, practicing hospitality to an angel along the way. And that's really cool to think about, getting to heaven and hearing 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, 15 times where as we practice hospitality, basic Christian love and kindness to even strangers, uh, it was really an angel that we were doing that unto at that point. Kind of neat to think about. Um, It'll also be sad to hear about times that we didn't and therefore didn't get a reward. I think about um, uh, this this quote from uh, Bible commentators. The lack of a network of decent hotels for ordinary people, this is first century, and speaking about the first century, the lack of a network of decent hotels for ordinary people had the results that readiness to provide board and lodging for friends and other suitably sponsored travelers was even more highly esteemed than it is today. So there wasn't just a Super 8 or a Motel 6 or better places than that, you know, beds and breakfasts and, uh, you know, Airbnbs and things like that. There was a network of Christian hospitality that did those things instead, and many times those gave opportunities to uh, lead people to Christ as well. I think about the uh, Green Book that we hear about from... uh, Have you ever heard of the Green Book? Uh, The Green Book was the genius of a New York mailman named Victor Green. He created it for African Americans traveling through the South during Jim Crow days. And the Green Book listed out the establishments, both white and black, that would help those travelers as they traveled in those dangerous days. And I've heard stories of older African-Americans who actually used such a thing when they went through the South uh, because of the uh, scariness of a time where uh, our laws did not reinforce uh, the inherent equality we have as created in the image and likeness of God. Well, those of you phileo love as strangers, you may grow to agape love as brothers. That's pretty neat. You practice the love of everyone you can meet, a basic kindness and hospitality. And as you do that, some people will become serious Christian brothers and sisters that you get to fellowship with for much, much longer. He says to be hospitable without grumbling. So <laughs> I think about how often we grumble when our prayers are answered. We pray, Lord, give me opportunities to serve people. Then when he does, and it's more involved than we thought it would be, uh, we began to, and people began to wear out their welcome, (laughs) so to speak, we complain. (laughs) The word for without grumbling refers to an utterance made in a low tone of voice. (laughs) It makes you laugh, doesn't it, thinking about people speaking under their breath about how the the person just doesn't go on down the road or why they're here or how exhausting it is to care for people. Aren't you glad God doesn't give up on you when when we wear out our welcome? (laughs) Think about the difference between, and Peter's the one writing this, and I think about uh, the difference between being a fisher of men and being a shepherd of people, of men and women. So when Jesus first appeared to Peter, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that resonated with Peter because he was a fisherman. But you know, with fish, you catch them, kill them, you clean them, you eat them. Uh, It's very transactional in mind. You know, it's done, one and done. And so we often embrace the concept of being fishers of men and rejoice when people convert to Christ. But that's not where Jesus left Peter. When he restored Peter, when he practiced hospitality, love, forgiveness with Peter and forgave him and restored him, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I do, Lord. You know that I do. 
And three different times he asked him and Peter answered. And three different times Jesus said some version of, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Be a shepherd to people. Feed the sheep. Care for them. Well, shepherding is a much more um, demanding analogy for us than fishing. Again, we've talked about fishing one and done, right? It's done. But with shepherding, you have to care for sheep 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Pastor, the word pastor means the word shepherd. So pastors are have constantly on their mind the needs of the sheep, spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, uh, financial, whatever it might be. The need to forgive, the need to uh, go forward in the Christian faith, the concern about those who are backslidden, those who are weak in the faith, all those different things. And it is a care that isn't just for pastors, it's for every member of the body of Christ toward each other. And so if we're going to express that kind of love, then it uh, requires it to be all in 24-7, to be shepherds of people, to lovers of their souls. Well, I think about how appealing it is when we see this kind of love practiced. I'm thinking about specific I just have in my mind specific wonderful church members now. I've seen practice this, people like Hilda Smith (laughs) and so many others, uh, so many others. Think about this story. Tommy Spaulding is a Christian motivational speaker and an efficiency expert. He wrote a book called The Heart-Led Leader. And he tells a story about a time he went golfing with a CEO named Tim in Chicago. They went to Tim's golf club and they were served by a young caddy named Connor. A few holes into the round, the motivational speaker found himself alone with the caddy. He asked Connor if he had ever caddied for Tim before. No, the caddy said. Connor said, I'm usually not that lucky. The speaker thought that was an unusual reply, so he asked Connor what he meant. Connor told him that whenever Tim golfed at the club, the other caddies would fight for the opportunity to caddy for him. Usually they resorted to drawing straws. And today, Connor said with a smile, I drew the longest straw. The speaker joked, he must be a great tipper then. And then Connor said something that increased Tommy Spaulding's respect for Tim all the more. He said, Connor said, I don't know if he's a good tipper or not, but I do know he's the nicest and most genuine of all of our members. (laughs) I've got tears in my eyes as I think about that story. Let me ask you a question. Would people draw straws to spend time with you? (laughs) Would they draw straws to spend time with me? Oh my goodness, what a thing to think about. Even when we are being served, we serve. Spend time with God. Spend time with God's family. And the other priority that Peter gives them here as they think about the end of all things being imminent, uh, he says, share gifts God has given you with the whole family. Gifts, as you fill in the blank. Share gifts. Share the gifts God's given you with the whole family. He has in mind here spiritual gifts. As each one has received a gift, and we need to note here, That for Peter, every Christian has received a gift. As every one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. The word for grace in the Greek is the word charis. The word for gift is charisma. When Christians receive God's grace, they also receive gifts from God. We are recipients of God's grace. He has saved us by His grace through our faith in Jesus. And those who have received God's grace have also been graced with gifts to use Uh, for the body of Christ to help it grow. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. And the word minister is the word we get deacon from. Literally, serve up your gift to one another like a waiter. Now, Paul lists the gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. 
Things like preaching, teaching, serving, exhorting, giving, leading, shepherding, showing mercy, faith, knowledge, wisdom, healing, languages even, uh, evangelism. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, we are stewards, we read here in 1 Peter 4, managers of time, money, resources, talents, and gifts. It's a management responsibility. We're stewards of those things. With that in mind, let me suggest you find a way to tithe your time and use of your spiritual gift. Uh, many, uh, you know, there's, there's tools you can find online to look up and discover your spiritual gifts, but it's also something that as you are in the body of Christ with others and you get an opportunity to encourage, people see encouragement in you or they see you serving behind the scenes or you get an opportunity to teach and it goes really well. Uh, you know, so you can, you can think this through on your own as you look at the scriptures, but it's also something that others help affirm in you as you use your gifts. But let me suggest you find a way to tithe your time and use of your spiritual gift. Um, the word tithe means tenth. We often think of it when we think about giving back to the Lord the tithe that is called for in passages like Malachi. Uh, I believe Malachi chapter 3 and um, um, Matthew 23, 23 and other passages. The word tithe means tenth, and I think it's about more than money. I think it's also includes money, but I think it's also I think you ought to tithe your time. So if you work for 40 hours, find a way to give at least four to the Lord's work. How about if everybody thought like that in the church? Oh, how much would get done for the Lord and His glory using the different gifts that the Lord has blessed the body of Christ with? There's gold in them thar pews. You're the gold in them thar pews. Here, Peter divides the gifts into two broad categories, doesn't he? Speaking and serving. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. The word oracles is the uh, word logicon, logicon, divinely authoritative communication. So you hear that word logos in there, the word speak uh, with confidence in the word of God. Have confidence in God's word. The Bible often says, thus saith the Lord. And we, we should be like Billy Graham, who always said, the Bible says, and... We are not speaking our words or what we want to be true, but what God's Word says is true. The Bible says. The other kind of gifts is the service gifts. If anyone ministers or serves, let him or her do it as with the ability which God supplies. The word for supplies is choregae. Think choreography. All believers that are in a spiritual gift choir with Jesus as the conductor, <laughs> when you use your gift to bless me, and I use my gift to bless you, we make beautiful music together. Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Also, if we look at Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Oh my goodness. Back in verse 23 of Hebrews 10, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So as believers, we're to hold on to our biblical faith, hold fast to it. And then we're not to forsake the gathering of the saints together. We're supposed to be part of saints gathering together. And that's a good word to think about as we come out of this COVID crisis, you know, and this pandemic where increased access to the vaccine and the hospitals once again having uh, space if you did have a problem you could go to means we just need to get out there and live life again under those, uh, uh, you know, it's not to be reckless, but just get on back out there in life. 
And uh, as we do, we need to prioritize getting back with God's people as part of that and not just going to check it off and say we attended, but instead to come to the gathering of the saints to consider one another how we can stir up love and good work. So you go to church and you see a fellow believer there and God maybe gave you a word of encouragement for them. So you're helping them stir up love um, and good works. You might catch them doing something right and say, oh, you, you really did that so well that you taught our lesson today in Sunday school and you did such a great job of it. Maybe uh, you're supposed to be teaching even more. Consider how to stir up love and good works. It might be as simple as, hey, the God's pit crew is having a time of putting together blessing buckets this coming week. Won't you come out there with me? Let's do that together. Let's get a first down for Jesus, you know, and do something that advances his cause on earth. And um, we're supposed to do that so much more as you see the day approaching. The author of Hebrews using the same words as Peter's there about the day. Uh, and it's approaching. It's coming. And uh, so Peter, getting back to 1 Peter 4, ends this call for us to grow together in Christ, ministering our gifts to one another with the great words that says that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The all things include us using our gifts to help the body grow, to help our fellow believers grow and to reach the lost for Christ. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory. Jesus Christ belongs, the glory belongs to him. The dominion or authority belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. The word for glory there is the word doxa. We get doxology from it. And let's end our message today by singing that together. If you know the doxology, you may remember it when I start singing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, you know I love Jesus. And based on that singing, I'm probably not supposed to be the uh, choir leader. That gift belongs to somebody else. But we're all called to praise the Lord and to make joyful noises. And so, nice to make a joyful noise with you. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.